about you guys, but I am so thankful for Drew having joined our team a couple years ago. Um, the music is just so nice. So thank you, Elizabeth and Abishay and Eunice. And there was a time where you guys had just me and a guitar. Yeesh. Um, I wanted to just kind of give a little disclaimer on that book. Um, it was funny. Uh, I was praying about a book that we could read as a congregation. And literally, someone I heard about this one. Someone dropped it off in my house. And they said, hey, you should read this. And so I started reading it. I was like, oh, man. And I came across a paragraph like this. And I thought, wow, this is definitely for me and maybe for you, too. So remember, Bob Goff is a lawyer uh, from San Diego that wrote that book, Love Does. And he writes this. As a lawyer, I win arguments for a living. But something has changed within me. I want to be Jesus. I've concluded we can be correct and not right. Now, what I mean I do this more often when I have the right words and the wrong heart. Sadly, whenever I make my opinions more important than the difficult people God made, I turn the wine back into water. I'm trying to resist the bait that darkness offers me every day to trade kindness for rightness. These are not mutual exclusive ideas, of course. But there's a big difference between being kind and being right. Pick the most controversial social subject issue of the day, and you'll find passionate voices on either side. The sad fact is, many of us have lost our way trying to help people find theirs. Arguments won't change people. Simply giving away kindness won't either. Only Jesus has the power to change people. And it will, be harder than, it will be harder for them to see Jesus if their view of Him is being blocked by my big opinion. I was like, whoa. Good book. Really good book. So I would suggest that uh, give up 10 bucks, grab one on the back, take it home. What I do love about Bob Goff is um, he tells a lot of really good stories. And uh, has some really phenomenal points about what God's doing in his life and around. So, um, okay, so like Nathan said, we are still on Romans chapter 1, verses 1, 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I will tell you, I could spend another four or five sermons here. I'm not even like kidding you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is absolutely unbelievable to unpack. And I feel like it's one of those onions where I just keep peeling, peeling back the layers, and it just keeps going. And it was one of those things where I wanted to be like, well, geez, we've read that scripture together so many times in the corporate reading of scripture, and I'm hoping that we memorize it a little bit, right? I'm hoping that it's starting to sink in a little bit. But um, I had some good advice given to me the other day, and I want to give you guys the authority and the opportunity. Speak into my life. I think a lot of times what happens is it becomes this position where I'm up here of like authority or this position of like expert on something. No, I am just walking through this world the same way you are. Independence upon the Holy Spirit, independence on Jesus Christ, just depending on those two things, and working daily to rid myself of my flesh. That's a daily process. And you are on that same journey, and I'm on that same journey. 
So someone came to me and said, hey, listen, I think your stories are really good. I think your stories are really funny. When everyone starts a conversation like that, there's a but always coming, right? And it's okay. But, they said, I really would like to hear more God's word. I really would like, you know, more of God's word saturating. I'd love this, you know, there's your word saturating. I'd like to have more of God's word. And I said, that's a good point. Listen, I, I need that kind of feedback. I need that. I need to be able to take it. And um, so here we go. I would like some volunteers to read. So I need someone to read Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. Anybody, 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 anybody? Right over there. Thank you. Justin, right? Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy. Oh. Hey, Jeremy. Jeremy moved, uh, is hanging out here for the summer up at a campground. So if you haven't met Jeremy yet, really cool kid. He's been over at the thrift shop this week volunteering, and uh, he's hanging out for the summer. It's a good place to hang out. So thanks. So you're Romans 11, 33 through 36. I need Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 units right there sold. Um, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. I'm not done yet. Matthew 26, 39. This is one verse, so someone can do this, even if you're homeschooled. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know. Look at that. I know. I always say that I can say that because I was homeschooled. I, mean, I, I have like this, like this, I guess this, not right, that's the wrong word, but I make fun of Christian schoolers because I went there and stayed back. I make fun of homeschoolers because I went there and got kicked out. And I went, and I make fun of public schoolers because I, I just went there, and we all know what that's like. So, but yes, I, I covered all three. I did go to Christian school, I did go to homeschool, and I did go to public school. I got all my bases covered. And I was that student that when I got to the end of my college life, I was graduating with a business degree and a Bible degree, and I was trying to think of what was next, and Heidi and I had already signed to go and work for a Christian camp, and I wanted to do Christian camping year-round, and the Christian camp that we had found was just brand new and was only able to pay me June, July, and August. But I said, I want to work there year-round. And so I thought to myself, oh, I will go and get my master's in teaching. So I can teach business at a local high school, you know, um, essentially you know, September through you know, May. And then I can work at this Christian camp. And I'm not kidding you. I walked into my advisor's office. His name was Dr. Steele. And uh, he was the advisor of the business department. And he was my advisor. So I start, sat down in Dr. Steele's office. And I said, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to get my master's in education. I've been doing school now for, what that was, about 20 years, it felt like, 18 years. I'll just keep doing school for the next two years, and I'll get a master's in teaching business. He looked across his big desk and said, that's nice and all, Marcus. I would not wish you on any graduate professor. You have jumped through the hoops. You have done what your parents have asked you to do, and you've done what we've asked you to do. Stop going to school. It's not for you. <laughs> literally, literally is what he said. This is a doctor, doctor of, of, of a professor, and I think he was really right. He's like, you will figure it out. Just go and do. Go find a job. You need to not do this anymore. So I don't know how I got on that whole track, but that was how I started in Christian camping, and that's how I graduated college from my from my professor, Dr. Steele. So who had Matthew? Oh, you did. 2639. 2639, yep. Now, oh no. Oh, Acts. So I need someone to read Acts chapter 4, 27 to 28. Just two verses, two verses, two verses, two verses. Trish, awesome. Um, the next one, Matthew 10, 29. Did I see your hand, Sean? Yeah. Matthew 10, 29. So you're Acts 4, 27 to 28, Trish. You're Matthew 10, 
uh, 29. Um, wow, I got more, but I'm going to leave it at that because we could be here all day. I'm probably not even going to get to these lower notes. I don't know. What happens is why we're still on Romans 12, you know, 1 and 2 is because I don't get to the bottom part of my notes. I'm like, oh, that's the good stuff. You know, it's like the, the bottom of some other thing. I don't know. Coffee, but I don't put anything in my coffee, so there's nothing down there. The bottom of the lemonade, there you go. Ever had the bottom of the lemonade? You're like, wow. All right. Okay, I am. Um, I don't feel educated, and I don't feel uh, like I have the tools or the authority to preach this sermon. <laughs> I am uh, going to attempt to preach on the will of God. It says the will of God here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So if you look on your bulletins, at the end of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'd like to just skip over that and keep going. Because that is a tough, tough subject. God's will? Are you kidding me? I'm trying to figure that thing out? Okay. So, like I said, in Bible school, when there is a therefore, you have to check out what the therefore is there for. And you're laughing because you just came from Bible school. And they'll tell you that next year. Right? So this starts with a therefore. So who had my Romans 11, 33 through 36? Okay, go for it. Nice and loud. Jeremy. Amen, dude. That's awesome. And the book of Romans could have ended right there. Right? Because it literally, Paul just was like, and God is awesome. Amen. It literally is what he just got done saying. How unsearchable is the height and the depth and the width of God? How stinking awesome is God? And then he says, amen. And it could have just been done right there. But what's he do? The beginning of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, in other words, God is so stinking awesome, so present yourself as a living sacrifice. But before he says present yourself as a living sacrifice, he says something about God's mercy. And remember we broke down the difference between grace and mercy? So grace was getting something that you don't deserve. And mercy was the opposite, not getting something that you do deserve. So here's the deal. What he's saying is, God is so incredibly, bless you, awesome. God is so incredibly awesome, and you and me don't deserve his awesomeness. We don't. But because of God's mercy and Jesus Christ's sacrifice, we get God's awesomeness. We get what we don't deserve. Okay? Now... God's awesomeness is like the sun. Okay? The sun, like S-U-N. Do we need the sun? Yes. What would happen if all of a sudden the sun went away? We would be done in like what? 
Exactly. Grace said death in less than a millisecond. Right? So if the sun went away, no good. What if, Grace, we got in a spaceship that could go to the sun and we went and landed on the sun's surface? What would happen? Just absolutely, and you wouldn't even get to the sun's surface. I forget how close you can get to the sun without blowing up, but it's, I think it's like pretty much Ecuador or something like that. That's about as close as I can get to the sun without blowing up. <laughs> Mexico is pretty tough for me. I was like, oh boy. Um, so God's glory, God's awesomeness is like the sun. We need it. But if we, in our sinful state, were to go and rest on God's glory or enter into the presence of God's glory, we would burn instantaneously. So this is the mercy part. That awesomeness that Paul was talking about, the unfathomable, the unsearchable, the unscrutable glory of God was made yours and was made mine by the personhood of Jesus Christ. So with those things in mind, he goes, all right, God's awesomeness, his personalization of his awesomeness through his son, by his mercy, all those things add up to you and me living out our lives sacrificially, which is our reasonable act of worship, says. Here's the thing. Paul described God's value at the end of chapter 11. And that, what, that is what worship is. It's living in a way that gives value to something. Right? It gives it value. So Paul is saying, live in a way that shows others that Christ is as valuable as he really is. Okay? You might say, well, I'm just a plumber. Plumb in a way that makes Christ valuable. I'm just a mom. Mother in a way that makes Christ valuable. Well, I'm just retired. Retire in a way that makes Christ valuable. It did, see, this is, what's the, this is the great equalizer. This does not, it doesn't matter what you do. Live in a way that makes Christ valuable as much as he is. And that's what this reasonable act of worship that Paul's talking about. And you're doing it because you're like, no, duh. He's valuable. No, duh. He's awesome. No, duh. He's lavished his mercy on me. When those things happen, you can live out your life as a reasonable act of worship because you're like, it's like me. I walk around talking about how awesome Heidi is. Why she married me, I have absolutely no idea. Her great mercy upon me, right? In college, I talk about it all the time. I'm like, she is awesome. This is the best. Oh, I'm ascribing value to her, and it drives her crazy. She hates being the center of anything, and I'm like, ooh, right? Because that's what I am. I like. I don't care if I, I like your restaurant or I like your your the one, if I like a particular hike or if I like a particular trail at Loon. Marcus is going to talk about it. It's going to come out of me, right? Because I'm ascribing value to it, right? I'll say, oh, have you had the pastrami at Camp Three? You gotta have the pastrami at Camp Three. You know, or I'll be like, oh, have you been to Conway? Have you been to Flatbread Pizza Company? You've got to go there. I'm ascribing value to these things. Oh, have you been on the Old Port in Portland and gone to Jay's Oyster Bar? Okay, you don't get distracted by the big.
big fancy restaurant called the Millos, right? You go to the Millos, you go to the entrance to the Millos, this giant fancy restaurant. You look to the left and there's the dumpsters of the Millos. Not even kill you. Right behind the dumpsters of the Millos is Jay's Oyster Bar. And it's about the size of literally this. This is the size of Jay's Oyster Bar. And you go there. Describing value to that, and you get a lobster roll. Yes! <laughs> Elizabeth is moving to Portland this afternoon. And you go to the Nosh kitchen bar, and you get their french fries. <laughs> I am not kidding you. I have a friend that likes food more than me. His name is Neil Ritchie. He <laughs> He lives in San Diego. He has a spreadsheet of every city and where to eat. Where to eat after 10 p.m., where to eat before 6 a.m., where to eat for under 10 bucks, where to eat between 30 and $40. I'm not even kidding you. So I had some friends that were going to Denver and I said, hey, they were living in Denver. I'm actually, not, I guess they, I'm just meeting them. They're a couple that I'm doing premarital counseling with through Skype. They live in Denver and they're getting married at Loon. And they just moved to Denver and they're like trying to like, you know, so I introduced them to a church of a friend that was out there. And I said, if you were looking for places to eat, this is Neil Ritchie. He lives in San Diego. I know that sounds weird, but just ask him for a PDF copy of his Denver spreadsheet. <laughs> they did, got back to me like, it's, he's got a Boston one. He's literally got a Boston. It's, it's amazing. Where were we going with all this? We ascribe value. You just heard me ascribe value to food, right? We live in a way that ascribes value. But, but, but be careful, Christian. Be careful because fake value, anyone can smell it a mile away. If your relationship with Christ isn't real and you're just ascribing fake value to him, it's obnoxious. It is absolutely unstomachable, obnoxious. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I've been guilty of it and will be guilty of it again in the future. And you just need to come out and tell me that I'm being guilty of it and kick me in the shin. Okay? Raw, raw, rin. All right. What were we talking about? Oh, yes. Christ, whoa. Through Christ's death, God's awesomeness is available to us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Who is that? Miss Eunice. Rich in mercy. Our Father is so rich. It's unbelievable. Okay. So it works its way down through. Therefore, God's awesomeness. So because of God's awesomeness and because of God's mercy, we live in a way that ascribes value to Jesus. And the practical way of how we do this, because everyone's like, okay, good for you. You can preach on this, but how do we actually do it? We do it by being transformed and not conformed. Right? And the best way to remind yourself of that is a couch conforms. A journey transforms. If you want to be conformed, just find any couch and you'll be conformed pretty quickly. See, a couch is something that will conform you. A journey is something that will transform you. And a journey is tough. 
We need rest along the way. We do need rest. We, we definitely need rest. But if you fall in love with that rest, you fall in love with that comfort, and then you seek, you know how much money America, you know how much money Marcus spends on making sure I'm comfortable? It's a multi-gazillion dollar industry. It's bigger. It is by far bigger than the oil industry, like way bigger than the oil industry. You're sitting there going, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The comfort industry, all I have to say is comfort food. That's a bigger industry than the oil industry. I'll tell you that much. So he's saying, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the daily renewing of your mind. See, conformity is something that happens naturally. I naturally gain weight. I look at ice cream and I'm like, oh, my pants don't fit. I'm not even kidding. But to be transformed, I actually have to do something. I have to hike. I have to bike. I have to walk. You know, and I have to be careful of what I eat. That's why, like, oh, hanging out with my brother Drew over there, that guy is awesome. I do not have his metabolism. Jim, I don't have your metabolism. You guys have a superpower. Don't know how you figured it out, but I don't have it. But good for you. I'm glad. Um, what was I talking about? I was jealous of superpowers and metabolism. Yes, conform, not transform. Or transform, not conform. Transformation takes work. And that's why a lot of us don't like following Christ. It totally does. It takes work. It takes a daily denial of yourself. But man, oh man, how do you feel when you get back from a workout? It's the best. It's the best. And you feel the same way as you walk along with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not easy. Man, when I know I have time and I know I'm supposed to be doing a run or a hike or a bike, I sit there and I'm like... Uh, we, I got something else to do. The dishes look like they need to be done. Or, man, I really probably ought to stack this firewood. Or I usually don't think of that. Um, that's also work. Yeah, that's, that's physical labor. Um, you know, oh, females need to be done. Or, oh, you know, I really ought to watch this YouTube video because maybe it might have a sermon illustration in it. Um, we avoid it. But, man, when I come back from working out or going for a run or a hike up first ledge or biking, it's like, you know? And the same is true with our spiritual life. Okay. And now the point that I... This was all fun. I like preaching on what I'm preaching so far. But now we've made it to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Where it says that when you do these things, because of God's awesomeness, plus His mercy, you live in a way that brings value to Jesus. And you do it by being transformed by the renewing of your mind... Right, which is getting in God's word, which is spending time in prayer, which is spending time in Christian community. Right, and you don't conform to the patterns of this world. That's the formula by which you do this. You then will be able to test and approve what is God's will. And here we go. God's will. It's a big word in Scripture, and it's a big like. What is it? What is God's will? Does He want me to get married? Does He not? Does he, where does he want me to go to college? Does he want me to take this job or that job? Right? Should I have a black pickup or a green pickup? You know? Those are all funny ones. Or is it bigger? You know? Is it God's will for me to have cancer? Is it God's will for me not to have any kids? 
Is it God's will for me to lose my job? Harder ones, right? Those other ones were funny to laugh off, but the other ones that end up in, you know, was it God's will for me to lose a child before I die? Okay. There are two forms of God's will in Scripture. Two forms. There is God's sovereign will, and there is God's commanded will. Okay, so I'm going to give some scripture to back this up. This is examples of God, where it's translated as God's sovereign will. Who's got Matthew 26, 39? Tracy. That's translated sovereign will. That's Jesus crying out to his father and saying, can your will be different? And when he said, can your will be different? He says, can your sovereign will be different? Not your commanded will. Let's hear God's sovereign will for Jesus. It wasn't fun. Acts 4, 27 through 28. Is that you, Trish? This is God's sovereign will for Jesus. grasp that? The sovereign will of God was that evil take down his son. I don't like this will of God. I don't. Sin is in God's sovereign will. For Herod, Pilate, the people of Israel, the Gentiles, had to sin within God's will to take down Jesus for the salvation of the world. Don't ask me how sin is part of God's will. I do not understand. Don't ask me why he lets drunkards kill people in car accidents. Don't ask me why he lets drunkards beat their children. Don't ask me why he lets rapists go free or murderers go free. I do not understand how the sovereign will of God has room for sin. It's all throughout Scripture that it has room for sin. And when Jesus was saying, God, would you please change your will? He phrased it, will you let this cup pass? Do I have to drink of this cup? And God said, yeah, son, you do. I wish you didn't have to, but you do. And when you die of cancer, when someone dies young of an automobile accident, why God has you drink of that cup, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I can sit here and say, wow, it's, it's, it, I have seen good come from it. I have seen good play out from it, right? But why God would allow that, I, I am not sure. But here's what I do know. There is nothing that happens, nothing that happens outside of God's will. 
riding my bike the other day, sadly saw a baby robin, a pancake on Route 112. Bummer, right? Who's got Matthew 10, 29? This one says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? There's not a bird that dies on Route 12 that God doesn't know about. Not one. There is not one animal that falls to the ground without God's will. And this can make you very angry because it makes me very angry. Because I sit there as the son and say, if you are so powerful... If you're so in control, then why is everything out of control? You stink at driving. Give me the wheel. You don't know what you're doing. That's where this will can take you negatively. But this will positively can take you to a place of... I have no idea what you're doing, Father. But you say that everything is for my good. And that my good is ultimately your good, God. God is for himself. His will is for himself. He is a selfish God. And you have to cross that line to come to him. God is about his glory and nothing else. And his sovereign will is about his glory and nothing else. And I've wrestled with it. I was on a study abroad program in Mexico my senior year in college. I got a two-way radio call. We were out in the middle of nowhere. That's where we lived. I lived in a cement bungalow, had no running water, had no power, absolutely loved it. Life was so simple. I wore the same clothes all the time. I lived with the Pima and the Tadhumata Indians. But I got a radio call a Sunday afternoon. We had a two-way radio call for a base in Tucson, Arizona. That's where like our like oh no headquarters are. Like if a radio call comes in from there and it was, hey, we need to talk to Marcus. Someone in his family has died. So my mind's like, my dad, my grandmother, my mom, like who has died, you know? And I get on the radio and it's my best friend, Curtis, from South Carolina. He is my absolute brother. We had spent four summers together. We had gone on a mission trip together. Like he was 21 years old. He had just graduated college. He graduated top of his class. He had just become a salesman for his dad's company. He was like one of the best salesmen. He had just purchased a brand new home on a lake. I mean, this kid had everything going for him. And he was a very humble guy, too. He was awesome. He flew airplanes. His dad was an aviation company. He flew airplanes, and he, and he died in a plane crash. I came out of that program, went to South Carolina, went to his funeral. And when I got back, it just happened to be in my semester, part of my, part of my spiritual formation is that I needed to do a 48-hour solo. I need to be out in the woods of Mexico by myself for 48 hours. And it just was beautiful timing that it was when I got home. And it was actually such close timing that my director actually sat me down before I went out and he said, I got to know that you're okay. I can't be sending you out in the woods of Mexico for 48 hours 
and you not be okay. And I was like, I'm all right, dude. Like, God, just send me. I'm going. I'm okay. The only thing I'm not going to be okay with is the food. There's no good food out there for 48 hours. <laughs> well, bring me something. No, no, that's not part of it. You got to be out there without that. Okay. And um, that's what I wrestled with out there. And you know what I came away with? God ain't about Curtis's life. God ain't about my life. God's about his glory. And what I figured out was if Curtis's death was in the glory of God, it is much better for Curtis to be dead than to be alive outside the glory of God. And that's a tough place to come to. And it's not easy, right? And if something major happens to me, I'm going to have to walk through that all over again. You know? Whatever it might be. But there is nothing, nothing that happens outside of the sovereign will of God. And I mean nothing. You can't change it. You can't break it. You can't make it different. It is the sovereign will of God. Now, the commanded will of God. I wrote these verses down. So I'll read them here. This is, comes from Matthew seven twenty one. This is the commanded will of God, remember. So when you hear the will of God here, it's not the sovereign will of God, it's the commanded will of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says this, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear the verbiage in each one of those? Paul says, This is the will of God that you be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality. That will is broken every minute around the world. That will is broken in this church. That will is broken on this street. That will is broken in this town. That will was broken at Bible school. Sexual purity. That's God's will. I have broken it. You have broken it. So, it's different than God's sovereign will. Because if it was God's sovereign will, then none, none of us would break sexual you know, impurity. So this is the commanded will of God. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Have you given thanks in all circumstances? I definitely have not given thanks in all circumstances. No way have I given thanks in all circumstances. We can break this will. This is the will of God that can be broken. So like I said earlier... When I shake my fist in the hand of the Almighty, and you better believe that your pastor has. And I want you to have permission to do it too. God is a big boy, and yes, we should respect Him. Yes, we should respect Him. But God is a big boy, and He would much rather have your true thoughts, your true feeling, than your fake respect for Him. He'd much rather you hash it out and scream and chuck stuff and throw a fit than to be all staunchy and bottle it all in. He knows. So in the sovereign will of God, I struggle. 
Because people sin and hurt innocent people. And the school shootings are awful. The drunk drivers killing innocent people is awful. Terrorism killing people, awful. It is somehow part of all God's sovereign will. And that's hard for me. But here's what I've found through Scripture. Those things are not part of God's commanded will. There is no room for sin in God's commanded will. None. There is room for sin in His sovereign will. There is no room for sin in His commanded will. Abstain from sexual immorality. Be still and know that I am God. Give thanks in all circumstances. These are the commanded will of God. Believe and you shall be saved. Commanded will of God. So if you have been hurt from someone else's sin, it is not okay. Your Father in Heaven doesn't say, well, it's part of my will. Sorry about that. He grieves. He mourns. He is sad. For it is His commanded will. And if you've ever, ever, ever been a parent, you understand the difference between the two. For my commanded will of my children are that they don't do drugs or get pregnant or, you know, run away from home. That's my commanded will. And they can break every single one of those. My sovereign will, my sovereign will is my love for them. No matter where they go, what they do, no matter what they decide to do, my love will be for them. And that will never change, and it can't change. Think of God as a father. He has a sovereign will. And in his love, he gives us all kinds of room to make mistakes. And if he's going to give you room to make mistakes, that means he's giving your neighbor room to make mistakes, even if your neighbor's mistakes hurt you. If your, mis- if your neighbor's mistakes hurt you and you are angry at God, you have got to understand that if you had God do what you wanted him to do, you would have zero freedom and he would have no forgiveness on you, on your mistakes, because your mistakes have hurt somebody. Every one of us in here has hurt people along the way. And within God's sovereign will, there's room for that. He doesn't like it, no. Because in His commanded will, there's no room for that. In God's commanded will, there is no room for us to hurt one another. It's not okay. Sin is not okay. But this is the difference between God's sovereign will and His commanded will. Lord, uh, these things are much too deep for me. These things are unbelievable. But Lord, they're truth. And they might be hard to hear, but they're truth. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, can we put faith in truth? Can we hold on to it even when we don't understand it? Oh God, give us. Give us grace to accept your sovereign will even when it stings. And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us strength to carry out your commanded will. Go forth and do not sin. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and commit them no more. We need you, God. We need you bad. The power of your Holy Spirit, help us.
to wrestle with these truths. Help us not to be fake. We're upset at you, God. Help us to come right into your bedroom, slamming the door wide open and demand an answer. And help us to be humble and jump on our knees while we listen to your answer. Thank you, God, for your will. Amen.